Hello, I'm Daniel Barnett. In this episode of Employment Law Matters, I'm talking about when alternative employment will and won't be regarded as suitable in a redundancy situation. Before I do, a big shout out to I78248704, your lovely review in iTunes. They said, how does Daniel manage to compress quite complex topics into segments of less than quarter of an hour and still explain them in enough detail? But he does it and he does it well. Recommended for all with an interest in this vast and ever-changing area. It's easy, I7824870. I talk really, really fast. And if you want to email your name and postal address to podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk, we'll send you, I7824870, a copy of my book on employee investigations as a thank you. And I'll do this every week. I'll pick someone out who's left a review on iTunes and give you a big shout out here and send you a copy of one of my books. Also, a quick word about a conference I'm running in mid-October for HR professionals. I'm just going to tell you about two of the ten speakers, and you can see the rest of the programme at www.hrinnercircle.co.uk slash hrconference2019. The first speaker is Gillian Howard. She's speaking on getting the right answers out of occupational health, a topic which frustrates a lot of HR professionals. She'll teach you how to choose the right occupational health practitioner, how to ask the questions that matter, getting them to commit to an opinion, and how to clarify and amplify their report. She's a really funny speaker, and she's definitely worth getting up early for. And then we've got Dr. Roger Miles, a leading international speaker who's speaking on why rulemakers are not the people who should make rules. He's also speaking on the problems of presenteeism, where misconduct comes from, and the most underused resource in your organisation. That's two of them. There are eight other topics, and the conference is in London on the 14th of October 2019. It's free to all members of the HR Inner Circle, the membership organisation I run for smart, ambitious HR professionals. To find out more about the conference and about joining the HR Inner Circle, please go to www.hrinnercircle.com. Dot co.uk slash HR Conference 2019. And now, when alternative employment will and won't be suitable in a redundancy situation. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. Employers must, in the lead up to a redundancy dismissal, Think about whether there is suitable alternative employment to be had within their organisation, including within any group companies. If an employee accepts your offer of alternative employment, their employment continues unbroken. No redundancy payment is due at that point. They are entitled to a four-week trial period if its terms are different to those they previously worked under. And if the trial period is successful, the employment simply continues. If the trial period doesn't work out, they still get their redundancy payment. If an employee unreasonably refuses an offer of suitable alternative employment, 
they're treated as dismissed and are not entitled to a statutory redundancy payment. Although you should always check your policy for the enhanced contractual position if there is one. But if the alternative employment turns out not to be suitable, or if it was reasonable for the employee not to accept it, the employee remains entitled to their full redundancy payment and will often have an unfair dismissal claim. When this type of situation leads to a dispute, the onus is on you, as the employer, to convince a tribunal that a. you had offered suitable alternative employment and b. the employee was unreasonable in having refused it. Let's look first at whether the new job is suitable. Now, this depends on whether the specifics of the job, such as pay, status and hours, are objectively suitable, meaning broadly similar. Here are five factors a tribunal will want to know about. First, the location of the new job. Is it in the same place? Would the employee need to drive rather than go by bus? And what effect would that have on them and on their family? Would they need to move house? Second, the hours involved. What hours would the employee have to work? A proposed change to or from shift work wouldn't suit a lot of people. Would different hours rule out the opportunity to earn overtime? Third, the pay. If the employee is going to have to take a big pay cut, that's almost certainly going to render an offer unsuitable. Look at the value of the entire package. Basic salary might drop, but commission and bonus capacity might increase. Would that defeat the unsuitability tag? Fourth, status. Would it be a demotion? Even if the job pays the same salary, a drop in status or the absence of people to supervise could make the offer unsuitable. Fifth, the skills required. If the employee is overskilled, underskilled, or even just differently skilled, the job could be unsuitable, even if the original pay level was being maintained. Now, an offer might be suitable, but it can still be reasonable for an employee to refuse it. And that's because reasonableness is about the ins and outs of the particular employee's circumstances and how those apply to the offer made. Suitability is objectively assessing the two jobs against each other. Reasonableness or unreasonableness in accepting the offer is all about the individual's individual circumstances. So here are some examples. Relocation, and you'll appreciate they're all linked in. Family reasons can be a reasonable basis on which to uh, reject an otherwise suitable job offer. A wife's refusal to move has been found to be a reasonable reason to turn down alternative employment, as has not wanting to uproot children at an important time in their education. Having said that, an employee who simply says there's no way I'd work there without giving it some thought and without having a better reason than there's no way is probably being unreasonable. The commute. A small increase in the time it would take to get to and from work or the way in which someone might need to travel might not seem that significant at first glance, but it could still be reasonable for the employee to reject the offer. Rejection of a job that would require an hour's tube ride each way in place of a 15-minute car journey has been held to be reasonable. 
as has a refusal to drive an extra four miles in the case of a widower who had childcare responsibilities. But where the employee already does a fair amount of travelling in their job, it could well be unreasonable for them to refuse an offer of alternative employment that involves more travel. In one case, an increase from 32 to 72 miles wasn't held to be enough to justify the employee reasonably refusing the role. As I mentioned, you can already tell that reasonableness and suitability are closely connected. The real difference is that the suitability of the job is an objective assessment, looking at the hypothetical reasonable employee. The reasonableness of accepting or not accepting looks at the individual employee's personal circumstances. Let's have a look at some other factors. Status. Offers can be reasonably rejected if there's an actual or perceived loss of status, even if the job is overall suitable. It won't necessarily be an issue of pay. It could be particularly important to a particular employee that she's not seen to have lost her position in a business or in her industry. Another factor is a permanent to a temporary role. An employee is more likely to be found to have reasonably refused a short-term temporary role than a longer-term one. Refusal of a two-month contract has been held to be reasonable, whereas refusal of a 12-month contract has been held to be unreasonable. But don't base an assessment of reasonableness just on the length of the contract. It comes down to the full context of the offer in the employee's situation. Reasonableness also factors in the wider circumstances around the offer. For example, if the employer imposes an unreasonably short deadline for acceptance or otherwise behaves badly. The next three examples are examples of real tribunal decisions. First, an employee was reasonable in leaving at the end of his trial period because he believed the employer's motives in offering him that job were to prevent him from joining a competitor. Second, it was reasonable for an employee to refuse the offer of remaining in his role after all because he'd found a job with an employer that he considered more stable. And third, there was a reasonable refusal of an offer where there was a good basis for the employee to believe that no such job was available. Finally, a question I'm often asked is, how thorough does my search for suitable alternative employment have to be? You don't have to create a new job, but you do have to make a reasonable effort to identify existing opportunities. If you're a group company, the more power you assert over others in the group, the more reasonable it would be to get them to help in finding a vacancy. Where there's a joint HR function or a coordinated system of sharing information about vacancies within the group, it's usually going to be reasonable for you to call on that as part of the search. The corollary is that it would usually be unreasonable for you not to call on that as part of your search. The search should continue up to the point of dismissal and Sometimes a suitable vacancy becomes available at the 11th hour. If it does, you should act on it. Don't kick it into the long grass because you think it's come too late in the day. You might want to extend the notice period with the employee's agreement because that would allow time for the application for the alternative employment to be processed. 
Here are five tips. Number one, if in doubt about the suitability of a job offer, offer it. Let the employee decide if it's right for them. Don't assume that they would not be interested. Two, keep an open dialogue. If you're concerned that offering someone a lower paid or lower status role might offend them, talk to them about it first. They might be open-minded. Three, remember that even if a role doesn't immediately seem suitable, it might become suitable if the employee were to receive training and support. Four, make sure the employee knows about the potential effects of accepting or refusing the offer. This could reduce the scope for misunderstanding and reduce the prospects of a dispute later on. And five, keep good notes of everything. Thank you so much for listening. New editions of this podcast are published every single Tuesday. Next Tuesday's edition, episode 11, is on what you do if an employee asks to drop sexual harassment allegations that she's already made. Please do subscribe. You can subscribe in your favourite podcast player to Employment Law Matters or click the links to subscribe at www.danielbarnett.co.uk slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please do leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and I'll speak to you next week. Bye bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.